Greetings, and welcome back to Anti-Monitor. The summer movie season has taken its toll on your humble hosts, so we've decided to cleanse our mental palates with a two-part Troma Spectacular. This week, we're taking on Lloyd Kaufman's 1990 trashster piece, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. But first, we take a look at the dismal docket of films yet to be released in 2016 in hopes of finding some bright spots. So crawl into your kabuki cocoon as we delve into some highly entertaining trash. Oh my gosh. Does that suck? <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. You're listening to Anti-Monitor from DoomRocket.com. I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. Yes, that's right. It is anti-monitor time again. My name's Matt, Birdman Fleming, and across the table from me, as always, is Jared Jones, editor-in-chief of DoomRocket.com and local crime-fighting clown. That's me. That's true. Wait, a clown? You're throwing pies at injustice. Every once in a while. You're the seltzer of truth. Yeah. You tickle bad guys until they confess. I feel like there should be like some really epic orchestral trailer music going on while you say that. I think it would be more like but like, you know, if John Williams did a remix. And why is Circus on your mind right now, Bird? Uh, well, because for one thing, we watched a circus of a movie today. Yeah, we did. Um, but before we start clowning around with that, <laughs> we've had a bit of a rough stretch this summer, haven't we? It has been... A very long, a very hot, a very humid summer, but it's also been a piss-poor one, theater-wise. Yeah, uh, this is the summer of, uh, it really, 2016 in general is like, it's cinematic expectations gone down the toilet. Down the toilet. We've had one pretty outstanding movie that we uh, have been, you know, into, which is the Captain America Civil War. Yeah, but that was in May. And even then... There was a little bit of uh, expectation loss. Uh, you know, I think for me personally, it's where the diminishing returns from mm -hmm. the Marvel Avengers universe sure. is starting to collapse under its own hubris. Uh, I feel like, um, in so far, like I mentioned in a couple of episodes ago, that um, expectation fatigue, mm -hmm. I think, has finally set in. Um, I think we put a little too much stock in getting pumped about movies instead of actually taking people to task for making really bad movies. Um, studios hide behind really magnificent-looking trailers, and then we pay exorbitant amounts of money to see these movies, and we walk out with just nothing, with a whole bunch of nothing but bad feelings. And I I, I needed to purge this week, this episode of Anti-Monitor, because we, we've run the gauntlet. Yes, we, we went, have. We went from uh, Donna Justice to uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, we were rehashing bad movies from other summers while watched, watching the bad ones this summer. We watched X-Men 3. Yeah. You know, that's like the... I would rather watch X-Men Origins Wolverine, which we watched this year as well. Yeah. I would rather oh, watch God. that than uh, X3 ever. Again. I'm really starting to think this podcast is a bad idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, we decided today, you know, even after, you know, uh, mulling around a lot, mm. a lot of listeners don't know how our process works when we're selecting movies. Mm -hmm. We, we kind of take a look at the landscape. We try to see if there's anything pertinent. Yeah. And when there's nothing pertinent, we kind of scratch our heads a little bit and we say, well, here are some things we want to do. 
But you and I came to a consensus, and we decided yeah. it was time to just have a little fun with gaudy, yeah, trashy, bad for good entertainment. And we reached deep into the well this time. Obviously, this week we are talking about one of the trashiest, most ugly movies I've seen in a while. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. And that's part of a two-part. We're going to give you a one-two punch of trauma entertainment. Uh, the next week we're going to – next episode we're going to be getting we'll into the We'll reveal that at the very end of this episode. So you got to listen to the whole way through or click at the very end of the episode. Please don't do that. No. Uh, but in the meantime, yes, we've taken a look at the coming soon, the mm -hmm. releases – Yet Between now and the end of the year. And at first we were looking to find Oscar-worthy things. Oh, things yeah. that we think might be nominated for something. The awards season is upon us. And then we looked into our crystal ball and what did we find, Bert? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of golden raspberry potential oh, uh, nominees. It's looking grim. There's not very much coming out that looks quote-unquote Oscar-worthy. Mm -hmm. So to salvage both our sanity and our readers' uh, <laughs> patience, we decided to just choose three each. Six films that Anti-Monitor is looking forward to seeing by the end of the year that shouldn't have been 2016. Well, uh, let's start with you, Jared. Okay. What is, and this is obviously in no uh, particular order. Yes. What's your first selection? Um, it's tough looking at the lists of releases. I mean, we have to at least reach into like wide releases that, you know, if we suggest them, everyone has a chance to check them out. From uh, Hollywood Stable this year, it is just garbage left and right. But there are a couple of shining um, uh turd morsels out there mm, yum, some, yum, yum. some uh aromatic dingleberries that i plucked from the sky and um I, I i suppose i'm happy with them for the most part for the first one i chose as is this year's latest robert zemeckis piece of oscar bait um allied do they trust you i'm very good at pretending max they're watching us focus me allied allied is a film uh that you would confuse uh for uh uh, a script that got tossed into a blender with a DVD copy of Casablanca because it does, in fact, take place in Casablanca in the year 1942. Um, Brad Pitt <laughs> plays uh, an intelligence officer, and his name is Max, uh, because of course it is, who falls in love with a French resistance fighter uh, by the name of Marion, and she's played by... Marianne Cotillard. God, that is too on the nose. Way as on the nose. As soon as you... I, I know nothing <laughs> about this movie. As soon as you said... And she is played, I was just like, if it's Marion Cotillard, then that's just, that's just too hot in the nose. I guess they just put Juliette Binoche out the pasture or something? I, did they run out of French actresses? Uh, Juliette Binoche, I think, hit that, uh, that mythical age. What, 29? Yeah. <laughs> no, Marion Cotillard's a little bit older than that, but sure. I mean, I'll, I like her in anything. The only reason it catches my, my eye at all is because you know me, I'm a sucker for those old sumptuous Hollywood spectacles. Certainly. I like a good war picture. Um, uh, I like something that deals with the quandary of man and uh, how we act when you know the fur is literally flying. Um, it has a pretty decent cast, I guess. It has Matthew Good in it, which is the cinematic equivalent of a burnt 
Parsnip. And they, they should have changed his name long ago to Matthew Not So Good. <laughs> or, uh, or Matthew Bad with two Ds. And an E. Yeah. And then Lizzie Kaplan, which I that bewilders me. But it's Robert Zemeckis. It's at least going to look amazing. I saw the trailer today, and it, it, it hits all the right notes mm-hmm. visually, aesthetically. I was kind of hoping it was shot in black and white, kind of like when Clooney gambled with the good German way back when with Kate Blanchett. Or Spielberg. With uh, uh, Schindler's List. That's correct. Um, I don't know why we don't use black and white a little more as a uh, just as an aesthetic device for nothing else. I think it would have really added to the movie, but what the hell do I know? Um, that's the first movie I'm picking. That's the first movie of this, uh, this year that I'm semi-quasi looking forward to. Bullets hop over to you, Bird. What do you have for me? Number one with the bullet for me coming up is Birth of a Nation. Mm. Now, that's a sentence that... Most people shouldn't get away with saying. Ever. I can't wait to see Birth of a Nation. Or number one with a bullet. That's pretty bad, too. Yeah. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Sing to him a new song! No, but, so, obviously, I am not talking about the uh, old-timey racist, um, I mean, it's still widely regarded as an innovator visually and structurally. Sure. uh, While it's... Subject matter is gross. Um, the 2016 Birth of a Nation. You got to lay this on me. What's the elevator pitch, Bird? This is a what looks to be a phenomenal dramatization of the Nat Turner Rebellion. Hmm. Now, this, the second slew of trailers are recut to make it a little more theater friendly. To kind of draw in people. It's got different music. They titanic the movie pretty much. They titanic. It's a titanic cut. But the first trailer for this movie, it's got quiet and like little tiny. Like art house quiet? Art house quiet uh, with little tiny audio flourishes. Uh, the first trailer is really well cut. Mm-hmm. And um, it looks potentially like this year's 12 Years a Slave. Sure. Which is a terrible com- uh, comparison because it's just generally the same subject matter, but it looks like it has that same gravitas mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Hopefully it's um, a little less star-studded distractingly. No, it's it's written, uh, directed, and starring one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks gripping. It looks much better than the uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, Slave Rebellion biopic from earlier this year. Yeah, the uh, uh, Altered State of Jones or something. I, I, who saw that movie? Uh, Matthew McConaughey definitely did. He certainly did. What's next on your list, Jared? Now, here's another one that's uh, an odd duck, it's but it's got a, a a prestige director to it. It also has a pretty decent cast. Um, the the conceit is not something I would be like, oh, I gotta go see that. But um, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, which on top of being impossible to say with a straight face, um, uh, is a title that caused me to walk in the opposite direction when I first uh, glimpsed it a few weeks back. Um, but MJ and I saw a trailer for it when we went to see uh, Suicide Squad uh, a couple weeks ago, and it perked my interest a little more with one name. And Ang- what's, that, what's that name? Ang Lee. Whoa! Yeah! So, all right, so 19-year-old Billy Lynn brought home from a victory tour after a harrowing battle in Iraq. And through flashbacks, the film shows what's really happening to uh, to the squad that he uh, was uh, fighting alongside. And then uh, it contrasts, and this is uh, from IMDb, quote, the realities of war with America's perceptions of war, end quote. Now, the cast, Kristen Stewart, Ben Diesel. Ben Diesel in a drama. 
All right, so so far, two names in, you're shitting me that you're looking forward to oh, this. Oh, I'm not done. Garrett Headland. <laughs> okay. Steve. Stephen Martin. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to turn the mixer off right now oh. and sabotage this entire thing because you just told me that Steve Pink Panther Martin <laughs> is putting on his dramatic hat for the first time, I don't know what, since Roxanne? No, he did dramas. They were just really stuffy and hoity-toity dramas like Shop Girl, the movie he directed with really? Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, yeah, you purged that one from your mind. You'd be right to. But he's done some dramas, and he's a fine dramatic actor when he wants to be. Most comedians are. It's true. Um, I'm not really sure what his uh, role is in the movie. I guess I'll find out when I see it. But um, I like The Life of Pi. I, uh, uh, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon might be one of my favorite movies of all time. Absolutely. Um. I still uh, advocate for Hulk. I'm still angry with Ang Lee for that one. Well, you know that's on the list for next summer. You know that we're watching Hulk, right? Oh, well, you know, we have two Hulk movies to watch still. Mm, that's true. But yeah, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk is the second film that I'm quasi-semi looking forward to, I guess. Bird, what's second on your list? Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. So you should start running, because I'm going to start hunting. And when I find you, I'm going to kill you all. I hate you for taking that from me. I deserve that one, mm. to be fully honest. Because if it, if it weren't for me and my months and months of threatening to find a red box with Jack Reacher and bring it into our home, it was I was so insistent on it. And then when you and I sat down and watched Jack Reacher, what we found was a competent action film mm -hmm. based on, you know, a, a work of fiction, but still something that we hadn't seen, not a rehash of other franchises. Uh, and it was Tom Cruise at his best at like, you know, rogue nation level best. Yeah. Uh, it didn't hurt. Of course, that Werner Herzog is a perfect villain. Oh my God. It was so, I mean, who, who greenlit that idea deserved a raise if they hadn't already got one. Absolutely. Um, the one thing that gives me pause What's that? Uh, Christopher McQuarrie is not on board directing. Yeah, I heard about that. Um, he's instead, working. What's he working on instead? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you who who's directing. Oh. Instead, we got Eddie Zwick. Hmm. Uh, from uh, the Last Samurai. Last Samurai. Uh, Blood Diamond. Uh, uh, Pawn Sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, oh God, that Tobey Maguire's screechy. I'm a scumbag chess player movie. Yeah. Oh, man. How did anyone skip that one? Uh, well, let's see. It was a movie about chess starring Tobey Maguire. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the trailer to uh, the new Jack Reacher, I Ooh. responded to exactly the same way I responded to the first trailer to Jack Re the first Jack Reacher, which was <laughs> Reticence. I saw the first trailer and I was like, come on. And then I watched this new trailer. Same thing. Come on. Like, Jack Reacher was lightning in a bottle, if you can even qualify it as such. So you're really looking forward. You got a lot of hope invested in this one. It's like you said, with expectation fatigue, mm -hmm. I don't want to go in with too high of expectations, but I'm going to give it a chance. Yeah. I'm going to give it the chance that I didn't give Jack Reacher. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing when John Wick 2 comes out. Yeah. I'm go into that knowing that it's probably never going to recapture that mm -hmm. same lightning. 
Well, you know, it was because of us skipping Jack Reacher that we jumped all over Jack, uh, John Wick. That's true. Like, there was just, I was like, there's no way we're skipping this twice. It's pretty much the same fucking movie, but. You know. Well, yeah. yeah. There's some nuanced differences, but. Sure. Uh, plus, no, it's a Jai Courtney. It's no a walk amongst the tombstones, that's no, for sure. No, no, no. Uh, Jared, what's the final movie that you're looking forward to? Well, I know it's no Underworld Blood Wars or uh, or a, a reaching uh, war drama. Well, Underworld Blood Wars is an actual movie that's coming out this year. Oh, finally. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the next installment of the Underworld franchise. It's, it's not a, uh, a movie called Kidnap. Oh. A movie that's actually called Kidnap starring Halle Berry. Are you talking about the sequel, long-awaited sequel to The Ring? Rings? Uh, no. Are you talking about the origin story of the Ouija board? What What was that called? Uh, Ouija's? Ouija's, <laughs> that's what it should be called. No, it's neither of those movies. It is, of course, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. You think you know how the world works? Because what else could it be? I... Because I gave you one of my other ones I wanted to pick, just to be fair. Because seriously, folks, we are scraping the barrel for movies to look forward to this year. I mean, we typically do a, a second-half anticipatory list uh, looking forward to projects in film, television, games, etc. Um, and we just couldn't put enough for Anti-Monitor together for it to even matter. Like, at all. I mean, we had Doctor Strange here, which... I mean, it goes without saying it's a Marvel movie. It's an event. It will happen, whether or not anyone wants it to or not. I'm I'm kind of pumped about it. The cast looks amazing. Um, they got one of the biggest names working today in Hollywood as the centerpiece, Benedict Cumberbatch. It, is is he as hot as he was during Into Darkness in the Sherlock uh, era? What, I would what, say was he. I, I would say he has cooled a little bit, but uh, there's a new. Uh, Sherlock season coming out soon mm -hmm. that everyone's looking forward to. And he was just nominated for an Academy Award. Absolutely. And so it's only fitting. I mean, like, it's almost like a rite of passage for anyone who's um, like who's young enough, nominated for an Academy Award, you have to star in a superhero picture. Problem is, more often, those superhero pictures stink. But I digress. We could talk about Doctor Strange on another episode. Bertie, please close it up. What is the final film? that you're looking forward to for the rest of 2016. Well, I'd hate to sully anyone's expectations Aww. by revealing that it's not a Clint Eastwood film. Oh, I see. But uh, in fact, of course, everybody here at Doom Rocket is beyond stoked for Gareth Edwards' standalone Star Wars story, Rogue One. Mm -hmm. Are you with me? All the way. Boy, oh boy, that new trailer. Whew. I was just on vacation. And when you're on vacation, it's hard to find Wi-Fi signals and everything. Mm -hmm. I was like on my phone trying to find some Wi-Fi so that I could watch this trailer. And when <laughs> I finally did, mm -hmm. I was just like, yes. First of all, beyond the big reveal at the end that there he is, there's D Darth Vader. Yeah, because of course. Of course. Beyond that, Donnie... Flippin' Yen. Donnie Yen as a blind, force-driven stick man. <laughs> this stick flipper like Donatello. Yeah. You mean like a staff? Bow staff. That's what they call yeah, it. That's yeah. what they're called. The big stick. <laughs> uh, 
Forrest Whitaker? Yeah. Who has He not- has hair in this trailer. He didn't have hair in the first trailer. And if he did, I didn't see it. Uh, all I care about is that he looks a thousand times better than his character in Battlefield Earth. Um, still nary a sight of Mads Mikkelsen, who I think is kind of a... He, he's going to end up being a bit of a MacGuffin in this one. Now, I I listened to Jason Gibner's Last Points podcast, which folks at home, if you don't know, Gib- Jason Gibner, contributing writer for DoomRocket.com, has a fantastic Star Wars-related podcast called Blast Points. If you're not subscribed to it on iTunes... I highly recommend it. Please do it. Absolutely. Uh, um, there was a little speculation on their part, and then I looked into it and read it online. Apparently, the international trailer of uh, Rogue One that just came out a couple days ago. Which I watched today. Um, includes a throwaway line. And what is it with international trailers just spoiling shit? There's a throwaway line in there. Uh, where it's because they don't think that the other that the audiences there really understand or give a shit. Sure. Um where an actor says to Jin Erso, played by Felicity Jones, um, we have the plans that your father made, or something to that effect. So, we, got, we got a warning about yeah. this weapon. It came from your father. Right, so like a, pretty much um, uh, Mads Mikkelsen is probably the architect of uh, the Death Star, or at least the Death Star canon, because if we're talking about Star Wars canon, um, <laughs> the, the Death Star was made by those weird moth things on Geonosis, and we saw them making the plans, or at least uh, harboring the plans, uh, for the Death Star in Star Wars Episode Two: The Attack of the Clones. Ben Mendelsohn. Mm-hmm. Ben Mendelsohn uh, is actually one of the big bads of this, and he's the one who's like super uh, crazy about finishing this thing. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed to find out that uh, when I first when I first saw him in a trailer, I was like, "Holy shit, is he Grand Moff Tarkin?" Nah, but he's not. No, nah. he looks. He's got the face for it. Uh, he's not as gaunt as I would have liked, no. but uh, um, Ben Mendelsohn, he's, he's one of those guys. Did you ever watch that show uh, Bloodline on Netflix? I saw a little bit of it. Oh, man, watch that season. I mean, the episode's Tuesday afternoon, soap opera crazy, but he is riveting on that show. And when I found out he was going to be one of the big bads in Rogue One, yeah, sign me up. Generally speaking, this looks like the Christmas present that we... Maybe don't deserve. No, and it's probably not going to be as good as we think it's going to be. Um, you know, and with expectation fatigue, and now here we are, that's coming out a year after The Force Awakens. I think everybody's kind of calmed down a little bit about the hyperbolic response to it. I don't know, man. It's Star Wars. That's um, true. I already a feel special, it. It, has a, it gets a special pass, it seems. I, I feel like it, it really does because we lived through the, the prequels. And I know now the people that identify as prequel apologists who uh, defend these movies. And, you know, I'll watch episode one with anybody and I'll watch episode three maybe one more time in my life. But episode two is unforgivable on every conceivable level. Um, But people lined up in droves to see these movies. And then when episode seven came back saying we're. Back to form, folks. Everyone bought it, and everyone loved it, and it was a tremendous, huge smash. There's no reason to believe that this one's going to be any different, with the minor exception of it being probably darker. Um, Disney's not as knee-jerk uh, reactionary as Warner Brothers, so they're probably not trying to goof it up in post-production. Um, I mean, goof in a humorous sort of way, where you know they have Jin Erso when she's walking towards that TIE fighter with a limp, then they just add a scene where she slips on a banana peel or some shit. 
Um, they'll probably keep it pretty somber. I hope they do. I hope that uh, Rogue One is as much a uh, Dirty Dozen type of movie where like these ne'er-do-wells go in to do a job that no one else can do, and they yeah. not all of them make it out alive. I, I want it to be an incredible movie that smacks me on my ass because as far as genre films are concerned, they're not doing it anymore. They're just there. They exist for a generation that is not mine, <laughs> who are much more easily appeased than I am now. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. Star Wars all the way. Yeah, as long as Jyn Erso doesn't have a scene with Darth Vader where they find out both of their mom's names are uh, Padme, we should be okay. <laughs> yeah. The captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Jared, I'd like you to spin me a yarn. Sure. I'd like you to tell me how you first became introduced to the Lloyd Kaufman trauma universe. Well, I worked at a video store, as you know, you worked there too. Um, back in college, in the early aughts, uh, Front Row Video, the now defunct Front Row Video in Saline, Michigan. Well, yeah, you did say video store, so of course it's defunct. Yeah. There was a guy that we knew named Chris Westman. I know that guy. And Chris Westman was a cinephile in every regard, with a difference. This guy loved only, exclusively, trash movies. The more offensive, the better. This guy put me through a gauntlet of some of the most heinous shit. I'm talking beyond Cannibal Holocaust here. Like, he put me through the ringer, uh, showing me all these crazy movies, and I was all about it. It just... Like this hungry mind feeding, like soaking it all up with the sponge. And then one day he brings me this movie, the movie that we're going to be talking about today. Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. His name is Sergeant Harry Griswold. He's an undercover cop who takes his job seriously. I need to commandeer this vehicle. And it was as violent and stupid as all these other movies he had shown me, but with a difference. It was funny. Like, not funny and a uh, Chris Rock and stand-up sort of way. Wait, it's not bigger and blacker. No, it's not hilarious Like, um, and uh, pointing out social foibles at the same time. It was funny in this really twisted Three Stooges sort of way. Lots of slapstick, but done competently. This thing was shot on a shoestring budget. It cost maybe two nickels to, uh, to make. It and looks yet, like the cast was probably subsiding on shoestring french fries. Possibly. Um, but it was that movie that made me hungry for more, like the name Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz coming in front of me in front of this really bad Awful. production card. Uh, and it goes, Troma. And I was just like, there's more here because I recognize that little guy in the middle of the logo. And sure enough, from my memories as a child, that cartoon Toxic Crusaders was made from a trauma movie, The Toxic Avenger. And... From then, I was a trauma devotee all throughout the rest of uh, my 20s. And uh, now that I'm like now nestling into the midsection of my 30s, um, I've kind of chilled out on it as much. I'm not as much of a diehard. I understand foibles and problems with it. But it had been such a long time that I had seen Sergeant Kabuki Man that when it came time for us to purge our minds of superheroes and, and uh, high stakes uh studio uh franchise building high concept the high concepts i wanted i want silliness but i want it to be the silliness that it deserves to be with the absence of pretense 
And that's why we went to the film that we're talking about today. Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, is this week's anti-monitor pick. Crime is at an all-time high. And to make matters worse, an ancient prophecy has unleashed an unbelievable evil spirit. And Griswold is caught in the middle of the crossfire. All right, Jones. Mm. Let's get the problems out of the way up top. Yeah. Let's clear this gutter. Absolutely. Number one, and most glaring, mm. this is a bit racially insensitive. That's putting it lightly. Uh, there's some culture appropriation. It's The premise is cultural appropriation. <laughs> there is a great white hope who is possessed by an ancient kabuki spirit. Yes. Um, I love in the opening titles when it says, inspired by Madame Butterfly. And then later there's a sequence with music from Madame Butterfly as the hero who is singing the aria from it does cartwheels into a, uh, a light a, post. Yeah, exactly. Who put that there? <laughs> that And that right there is a, a perfect example of where the humor comes in. But it's mm -hmm. almost like Lloyd Kaufman like smoked a big fat blunt right before seeing the opera. Doesn't strike me as the type. Well, it's just – it has that era of sure. like uh, – it's 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 goof humor. It's goof humor. And originally, it was intended, it was co-produced by the people in Japan at Namco yeah. to make a kabuki-themed superhero movie. I mean, that was in Lloyd Kaufman's wheelhouse anyway, Toxic Crusaders. But the thing was, Lloyd Kaufman it kind of butted heads with them and with Michael Hurst and wanted to make it a trauma movie. Yeah. And that's what we got. We got trauma we got making... A kabuki superhero movie. We got kind of both because there are moments in the movie that are genuinely slapsticky enough that it could have passed as a PG kids movie or PG-13. Um, and then there are just moments that is decidedly trauma, um, like bizarrely trauma, as only trauma could be. And I love trauma for it, but it is a, a, a smashed together uh, project. It was the Suicide Squad of its time. Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, I enjoy Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD in spite of its racial insensitivity, um, in spite of how it damsels the two female characters in the film, one grotesquely so. I, I enjoy the film despite the fact that it depicts rape needlessly. It's a trauma movie. If you know that going in, you're going to come across some things that are going to be red flags practically anywhere else. Like... Troma doesn't put out the movies that it used to with the uh, rate that it used to because no one wants to fund this kind of garbage movie because it is a part of a time that has now since passed. And this, this movie uh, was produced in 1990. Yeah. And it's still very much a product of the 80s. Oh, sure. It practically clutches in a death grip that 1980s uh, Times Square seediness. Yeah of New York City mm -hmm. that you, you get in so many 70s and 80s movies that now Times Square is just uh, low-rent Disneyland with more yeah. expensive restaurants. It was a pre-Giuliani New York. It was gross. It was mean. It was it was a bad place at a bad time uh, culturally because um, we were coming upon the advent of the Clinton-era political correctness that would totally blow a movie like Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD out of the water. Um, but the thing that I – the reason why I still maintain that it is an enjoyable film in spite of itself is because 
it is not mean about it. Never in the, mean. In the slightest. It does make some really low blows, but it never does it in, for the sake of being vindictive. And I think most of those low blows are really ultimately at the expense of this bumbling white guy. Yeah, they are. Um, but like I, we mentioned with the Madam Butterfly thing where you take something that is sumptuous and beautiful and, and, and timeless – like, like like music from that movie and, and jam it in here at the expense of that actual uh, joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, then that's that's when people could start like throwing out the red flags onto the field and going, no, time out. That's it. You can't do shit like that nowadays. Nowadays, you, that wouldn't fly. But back in 1990, Lloyd Kaufman had a license to chill. That's true. When it came to... Uh, uh, making sure that everybody who watched this movie would walk out of it w- without being offended. You walked into a trauma movie to be offended. As a matter of fact, if there was an offense Olympics, trauma would get the gold medal. Trauma ought to. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I think is worth pointing out is that there's still an aura of homage to like Kung Fu movies. Sure. To exploitation films like um like late 60s early 70s uh kung fu flicks uh primarily shot in a back lot somewhere in the blazing sun of los angeles you know you fly some top-notch fighters um across the pacific pay them very little to you know fight in your your movie and then send them back home and then uh have some white guy do uh all the heroics well it's also i think a tribute to a lot of uh 60s 70s action kung fu kind of things. This movie evokes the story of Ricky quite a bit for me, which hmm. is one of my absolute favorite schlocky films. The story of Ricky, Ricky O, mm-hmm. was very famous for its inclusion of one scene into the uh, the original Daily Show with Craig Kilborn mm-hmm. when he did the five questions. Yeah. And you see the big guy with the beard smash the other guy's head. Yeah. That's a clip from Ricky O, oh. the story of Ricky. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Oh, God. It's one of my favorite uh, schlocky movies and it's definitely something the next time we need some kind of palate cleanser mm-hmm. something that i can bring to you oh. that you've never experienced that i think you'll just eat up sure. but it has that same feel the goofy stabbing at the beginning where it's so comically fake mm-hmm. the woman getting thrown out the window that goes from not having a pain to having a pain to not having a pain yeah um, that's classic uh floyd kaufman editing Absolutely. <laughs> it's It should be pretty apparent pretty quickly that they're doing this in good fun. They're not trying to disrespect any cultures. Mm-hmm. They just need a trope. Yeah. They need something to hook you in and be like, this is a silly concept. Well, yeah. I mean, the high concept of uh, – the high concepts employed by Troma, they hang entire movies on them. Like, Romeo and Juliet is hung on the premise that we're going to garbage up Romeo and Juliet. And yet there's still a subtle, very tamped-down sophistication to the proceedings. Uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, hangs an entire movie on the premise that this white guy is going to become a um, an ancient Japanese warrior to fight off some dark lord, um, which is a plot ripped out from the uh, garbage bin right next to the typewriter that wrote the screenplay to Howard the Duck. So um, when you have a premise like that and you know exactly what you see, when you see the cover of the movie and you see some guy painted up in kabuki costumes and he's got a badge and a gun and and the title itself, you realize if you have one sensitive bone in your body, you are going to be offended by at least 
20 things in this movie. It's true. And, and if you know that going in, you might, in spite of yourself, kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit, really enjoying this movie. He is a one-man army of awesome Oriental artifacts. He is Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. I would agree. I would say that if you can remove yourself from the idea of getting offended by mm -hmm. anything, you can enjoy any trauma movie. Lloyd Kaufman has a knack for taking a title that maybe another director would have uh, parody films in their movie and just saying, like, what if that was the whole movie? Yeah, what if that was the actual movie? I come up with, with punny concepts for movies and for everyday things all mm -hmm. the time. If I made every single one of those, I would be a Lloyd Kaufman level god. Now, wouldn't this be something like if the Zucker brothers had, like, you know, condescended themselves enough to work with Lloyd Kaufman back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, right around the time before Naked Gun, right after Police Squad, but right in between Post -airplane. Making, when they were making a Kentucky Fried movie and, like, they had those high concept movie trailer pitches, like, Robert Rodriguez totally stole from for uh, Grand House movies like That's Armageddon or Catholic Schoolgirls in Trouble. Lloyd Kaufman would have made those movies like yep. that. No problem whatsoever. Like that, that fake movie in Beavis and Butthead, Asbestos in Obstetrics or something. He would have made that movie. <laughs> all, all those, if he was ever going to step into dramatic territory he'd be making all those fake movies that jerry and george and elaine went to go see all the time oh yeah like a uh, uh channel <laughs> channel um rochelle rochelle <laughs> one girl's erotic journey from milan to minsk yeah lloyd Kaufman could have made those movies and and i would argue they would be entertaining they would have been stupendous but they also would have been uh they would have been problematic there would have they been. Would, they would have been that word. Much like uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, yes. and most trauma movies, mm -hmm. there would be a tastefully shot, completely unnecessary and gratuitous sex scene. Yeah, it has one of those. But which, I, which I argue that unless the movie that you're working on is called We Fuck, mm -hmm. any <laughs> uh, sex scene is really gratuitous. Yeah. Unless you're making Bikini Bistro or mm -hmm. Bikini Car Wash or Bikini Farm Girls Save Their Dad. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my original concepts. No, that's um, why. Bikini Bowling Alley. Bikini Bowling Alley. You could have made a really great trilogy out of those movies. But I agree. Um, it's fiction. Anything is superfluous unless you give it substance. Um, if you can't and it feels out of place, that's because it is. And this is another one of my problems with this movie is that that sex scene has no place in the movie. Uh, the relationship between um, uh, Detective Harry Griswold and uh lotus lotus oh my god this wonderful japanese actress uh by the name of susan Byun uh is given the name lotus and she is just spewing this uh phony gobbledygook about prophecies the entire movie and then out of nowhere they decide that they fall in love and have a sex scene really quick uh, and and that's literally shoved in right in between the second and third acts it's just right in there and that's all there is to it but the biggest problem i've got with this movie aside from everything else that we've listed so far, is the rape sequence. Yeah, that's bad. There was no reason whatsoever to put that in there. Lloyd Kaufman's got a, a, a thing about putting rape into his movies. As a matter of fact, a, uh, a crucial uh, uh, plot point in the film Terra Firmer is the uh, uh, turning the tables uh, on the rapist rape scene. 
and then that uh, it's a, a ploy that he uses in his fake movie inside uh, Terra Firmer, which is another Toxic Avenger feature, um, but then becomes uh, a turning point for one of the characters in the film. Uh, maybe we'll visit Terra Firmer again someday. But um, with Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, the character, um, the uh, female uh, police detective, Connie, Connie uh, is there as a would-be love interest for Harry Griswold, um, kind of weaves in and out, and she has a lot of agency. Like, she's like, I'm going to bust, uh, you know, this phony preacher who, like, uh, says one thing to the people and does the exact opposite in practice, and, like, he's poisoning the, our community, and I'm going to bust his ass to the wall, and she's like, she's like Renee Montoya, if I had to use a Batman analogy. Um, and she's really awesome, and then out of nowhere come this crew of really... I mean, we'll talk about these guys in a haphazard, minute. Haphazard 1980s thugs. Yeah. Thugs straight out of, like, Death Wish, but on crack. And then for uh, – I mean, the the big moment for Griswold is that his partner is killed by these people, and that kind of pushes him to become the hero he's supposed to be. At its heart, Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD is your standard late 80s, early 90s superhero movie. All the plot points are there, you know. Really awkward segue from being a normal person into becoming a superhero than the, you know, riding with the training wheels sequences where they become comfortable becoming a superhero and then their powers are what make them that superhero uh, are taken away from them and then they have to save the girl and that's your movie. Well, but in this movie, um, Griswold's partner is not only attacked and later killed, but right in between they decide that she has to be raped too. It really doesn't make any sense because they could have just beaten her up, left her for dead. And there you have it. Mm -hmm. Get her in the hospital, and then you have the continuation of how they kill her. Going in part uh, to what we said earlier about how fictions uh, can be completely implausible, despite the fact that they are fiction, by shoving in moments that don't need to exist. It just really makes the uh, the next scene, the scene that's happening at the same time, mm -hmm. which is Sergeant Kabuki Man fully formed yeah. and doing all of this awesome, ridiculous, over-the-top yeah. action throwing chopsticks and yeah. he's got the fan and all that. It makes it hard to really soak in. Yeah, process it because you're going from uh, one moment where uh, they're you know jogging in the park and then the attack ha happens and then uh, Griswold is uh, also attacked and then he's out of nowhere. These kabuki powers start to form on him and then all of a sudden he starts singing that aria from Madam Butterfly and it's like, what am I watching? Like if... Please, please stop the sexual assault that's happening yeah, first. Let's get down to the brass tacks and save the tomfoolery for later. But it does dwell a lot longer than it needs to. And then it, it finally gets down to business. Um, insofar as uh, issues with this movie go, the, these were the big ones. Racial insensitivity, needless gratuitous sex and violence, um, especially when it didn't really have to. As far as trauma movie go... This is actually one of the tamer ones. Um, this one and Toxic Avenger are both probably the most cinematic of the two. Which is saying something. Which is really saying something. Um, but thematically, I would dare say that um, Kabuki Man, in spite of everything that we've already mentioned, is probably one of the safest movies for the uninitiated to hop into. It's true. It, uh, there are no actual giant penises in this movie. There is one. There's the one, the big evil one. Uh, you at know, the end. yeah, at the end where he like, uh, what's the name of that actor with 
the shock of white hair, the <laughs> the flea market version of Christopher Walken who plays the movie's villain. What's his name? His name is uh, Bill Whedon. Bill Whedon, that's right. He becomes like the great evil one, and then uh, and then he metamorphosizes into a, a giant lizard thing. I don't giant know. weird dick I, looking thing. I guess he's a dragon. I think he's supposed to be some sort of weird uh, wiener dragon. Well, let's talk about the transformations in this movie. They take far too long. I mean, we don't have CGI. There's no such thing as CGI for Lloyd Kaufman at this point in his career. Um, so heavy, relying heavily on makeup effects was the name of the game, and he nobody does it like him. But to get Griswold to Kabuki Man takes at least a minute and a half it takes far too long. The and Hulk I, doesn't switch that fast or that slow. Well, and it's always it's also just like uh you know, editing tricks. The frame is just going to spin around a lot like it's a Batman episode. And if they did that from the beginning, the transformation would take maybe 10 seconds, but they of course when he first does it, his face has to expand and contract with these like prosthesis and like makeup happens. Oh no, but before that, when he's sitting in the office with uh the chief, mhm. Captain Bender. <laughs> and that. they just keep showing his foot yeah. and his shoe is melting. I'm yeah. just like, what? What's, What's that going supposed on? to be? Yeah. And then like after it takes too long and I just sort of start figuring out that that must be Harry's foot. <laughs> then it just like, ding, turns into a Japanese sandal. Like, yep. Couldn't you have just made that a little bit cleaner? Yeah. No, probably not. Probably not. Because no. the transformations become more awkward as the movie progresses. Yeah. And an, American, an American werewolf in London, this is not. No, it is not. Um, one thing that makes Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD so absolutely wonderful for me is its leading man, Rick. How do you pronounce this last name? Giannassi? Giannassi. Giannassi. He's, he's a goofball in the highest sense of the word, and he does it so earnestly. You, you you feel for the guy. He's he's a putz. And he's a putz in a way where you, you'd want to take him home and show him to your mom. And, can we keep him? <laughs> can we keep this putz, mom? I think we can fix him up real nice. Yeah, he's he, he means well. He wants to be a good cop, and in a way, he is. But now, on top of being a bumbling idiot, he is now becoming this ancient Japanese hero for reasons. And uh, But... He he still soldiers on, even with his half mullet of hair and like his weird unkempt suit. Did you notice? He is way better. The actor is way better in full on kabuki mode. He is. When he's playing Harry Griswold, average Caucasian New York police officer, mm -hmm. he's awful. Yeah. He's really bad. Well, I mean, he's not awful, awful. He's just he's he's playing to the back of the room because I honestly believe uh, what we were talking about earlier is true. Like, they were trying to make this movie for kids at one point. So it's like, all right, bug your eyes out and go wugga wugga. <laughs> and then when you're Kabuki Man, you could do it too. But it makes more sense in context because he's covered head to toe in makeup. And he's wearing a giant striped bathrobe. Here, guy. Uh, this is what we're going to need for you. Uh, Rick, we need you to hang upside down, wear this red suit, and... Uh, Susan here is going to pretend to cane your balls. You know what really... Uh, bums me out is that as much as I really enjoy this actor, he didn't come back to reprise the role. He was recast. He was, um, he was recast uh, for Citizen Toxie, the Toxic Adventure Part 4, which is, as you know, in, despite that it is also hideous and disgusting, one of my favorite movies. Um, he, he's played by a guy named Paul Kermis. Kermis? Crimes? I don't know. There's a Y in there. It throws me off. Crims. Sergeant Kabuki Man is a shitbag in this movie. And the thing is, is that there's two of him in that movie. 
one from the regular Tromaverse and then one from the alternate uh, Tromaverse, and they both suck. The one, the hero one, the one that we know in this movie, mm-hmm. it he becomes an alcoholic, like a pathetic alcoholic. Like he can't even stand up straight. He can't make his Kabuki powers work. He's kind of a lecherous asshole. He at one point he corners a, a news a news reporter into. Uh, into a fenced-in area, and then it just cuts away, which is really odd. And then the alternate version is where he's just like, you know, he's t- totally sober, but he works with the other Toxic Avenger, the evil one, Nazi, and he dresses head-to-toe in black, and he, he actually knows his, like, kung fu, and he knows how to kick ass, um, but he's also a prick. You know, honestly, I've always thought uh, that that was strange, because Going into this movie, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, as a fan of other trauma movies I've seen, and having seen Citizen Toxie, I kind of half expected that version of Kabuki Man. So you were working backwards. I was working backwards. Yeah. And in the scene early on where he's walking through his apartment and there's just piles and piles of beer cans and everything, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. We're going to get to see, you know, shitty alcoholic Sergeant Kabuki Man. He, but, but we don't. And I think... If it were up to Lloyd Kaufman, I think that he probably, because he was pushing for a darker, yeah. you know, mean not meaner, but a darker, kind of grosser yeah. movie, I think. I think if he had it to do again, that might have been a little bit more of the Kabuki Man that we got. The maybe kind of um, shitty version. Right, uh, because uh, Kabuki Man is very altruistic. He's still a good guy, a bumbling one. Um but one that is wholly ignorant of Japanese culture, one that um, does not want the job and realizes that the woman, the Japanese woman that is the granddaughter of the man that passes on this power, not only deserves to have it, but is standing right next to him, doesn't try to figure out a way to give it to her, who would become a much more functioning, uh, a better functioning superhero. Um, yeah, it, it, evoked, uh, it evoked Ant-Man quite a bit. Yeah! Yeah, it did, actually. Holy cow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a good call. Where Paul Rudd, who does not deserve this shrinking suit. Meanwhile, you've got Janet, or Hope Van Dyne, excuse me, uh, standing around going, Hey, Michael Douglas, I I wanted, I want this for me. I think I'd be really good at it. And he's like, no, you're not a man. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what happens here. And she actually addresses it in the movie. She said, if the world were more fair to women... This power would be rightfully mine. And she's right. And, you know, for a minute there, even though she does have the worst dialogue in the film because she had, she's an expository device, one. And, and two, you, you're not allowed to forget for a second that she's Japanese and, and maybe a person. Um, she has the most agency out of anyone in the movie because she's like, I got to force this idiot to become who he's supposed to be and she forces him to do it but then somehow she falls in love with him anyway so she and she castigates him for having a penis but then 20 30 40 minutes later she's sitting on top of it so any agency that she has at all is completely taken from her literally when she's stripped naked and 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 it becomes a a damsel in distress It, it becomes a situation where all of a sudden for apropos of nothing the Kabuki Man powers only work within the physical perimeter of true love, a woman's love. It makes no sense. Yeah. But I'll tell you what my what redeems this movie for me. There are some very sometimes over the top, sometimes subtle, high quality messages. 
Yeah. There's a, a through line of sort of knocking corruption and that 80s greed. You know, one of the first things we see in the movie mm-hmm. is two Wall Street dicks snorting coke off the top of a Mercedes. Yeah. And we see toward the end of the movie, we see Sergeant Kabuki Man flying around puking onto two of the same guys. Except this time lawyers um, freeing a known convict to go on a killing spree, but not in our neighborhood. <laughs> there are some positive messages at the below the surface of this film. As trite as they are. Absolutely. The, the fact that Lotus goes very uh, – to the camera says, I should be the one getting these powers, but because I'm not a man, we got a movie. Here we go. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's some of what really redeems this as not completely uh, where it plays the game piece of trash right where it plays the game of being sexist but at the same time at least it protests it but in the end it really doesn't for me that's the thing that really throws me off especially watching again for the first time in years is that it's as respectful to women and Japanese culture as it is to that baboon, that actual baboon in the movie, uh, and and his uh, life as an actual ape or monkey. He's an ape. He's an ape. Because they show him sitting by himself, reading a copy of Curious George with bananas all over the place. That's that's as respectful as the movie is to Japanese culture and to women in this movie, I think. That's how I feel about that. And the sad thing is, is that I love this movie still, in spite of that. Can't believe this. I'm eating smelly dead fish, and I'm loving it. But raw fish is chopped liver compared to the wild adventure that is about to take over Griswold's life. I think that there's still something to be garnered from trashy, exploitative, gaudy, over-the-top, insensitive film. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't a Wayans Brothers scary movie. No. This isn't uh, any of those endless parody films where every other joke is just like as exhausted as possible Mm -hmm. this is a movie that's trying to be as funny as it can and as offensive as it can it's subversive with a message without pissing everyone off but it still manages to do exactly that and i think that that's still fine because it's trauma of course exactly yeah this guy in the bathroom is a real hero real new york hero huh Yeah. yeah We could go on at length about this movie, and as a matter of fact, we'll be going on at length about trauma as a thing next week when we actually discuss, of all movies, The Toxic Avenger. That's right. That's right. Are you excited about that? I'm exceptionally excited about that. I will save my Lloyd Kaufman story for the next episode. I look forward to it. In the meantime, I have a question for you, Bert. What's that? Of all... It's a superhero question, but of all the movie superheroes... What is your favorite, best, worst movie superhero? That's not an actual comic book superhero. Jared, I'm glad that you asked me that question. Mm-hmm. I would say that my favorite, worst superhero outside of comic book lore in film history... Lay it on me. Hancock. 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 You keep bringing this movie up. Will Smith is awesome in that movie. Mm-hmm. That movie definitely, you can see where the finished product was supposed to be a little bit different. Sure. But I'll be damned if I didn't enjoy that movie immensely. And Charlize Theron is awesome. And Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman, before he was really like, I'm going to be a star again, is pretty funny in that. But ultimately, 
Will Smith grappling with demons, being a really, really terrible version of Superman, so compelling. Hmm. And I think that that movie deserves a a go at it for us. Yeah, an anti-monitor episode? I think so. When's the last time you watched Hancock? Oh, don't don't ask me that question. It's been a long time. Jared, same question for you. Who is your favorite worst superhero outside of the comic canon? My favorite worst superhero isn't necessarily a bad superhero. He's just kind of a schmaltzy one. And that's Meteor Man. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, a movie that was written, produced, directed, and starring Robert Townsend. That's right. It's got an amazing cast. It's got uh, James Earl Jones and, uh, and it's got Bill Cosby in it. But uh, it's also got uh, Cypress Hill in it, Naughty yeah. by Nature, and Sinbad. And it's it's just it, – it's a sweet movie. It has a, uh, a lot of earnestness to it, but it's very low-grade, you know, um, inconsequential, not save the world – Save the community. Save, yeah. save the people that matter the most, the people that we love. It's a great It's a great movie. It's, I love it. I love it. it. When I was a kid, you know, we didn't have a whole bunch of superhero movies to go off of. So you took what you got. You'd watch Blank Man 20 times. Oh, God, I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> you would watch uh, The Phantom because it oh. existed. you watched watch The Shadow because it existed. Because this is all we got. The Shadow, that was uh, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, it was. And, of his... course, The Phantom was Billy Zane. That's right. And then, of course, there was The Rocketeer. Oh, but yeah. Hudson Hawk? Well, sure, but Meteor Man holds a dear place in my heart, and I got a little piece of trivia for you. Oh, lay it on me. Meteor Man has a rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like to know what it got? I would love to know. 29%. Oh. Which is 2% more than Donna Justice, uh, I think 3% more than Suicide Squad. So if you want a good, bad superhero movie that has a lot of heart to it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but a lot of heart... It's kind of boring, but a lot of heart. Watch Meteor Man. You know what? I love Robert Townsend, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I'm going to have to give that a spin sometime when I wake up early. Sure. If you wake up early. It happens once in a while. Yeah, it sure does. And that's all the time we have this week with Anti-Monitor. Thanks, as always, for listening to us. Look us up on social media. We are at DoomRocket underscore on all the major social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Jared Jones underscore on Twitter. And Birdman is at BirdMoney. That's all we have for this week. Join us next time when we talk about the Toxic Adventure. But in the meantime, from all of us at DoomRocket.com. Who are you? I'm Kabuki Man.